VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. It's the FA Cup third round weekend. Joining us on the panel today, we have Rory K. Smith, Alison Rudd, and... Tony Cascarino. Coming up, we'll be talking all things FA Cup. And we're going to start with Oxford and Swansea. Magic of the Cup, team in Premier League that presumably, safe to say, preoccupied with avoiding relegation, but still puts out a strong side. Alison, when you were a little girl, I'm assuming that nobody ever talked about, well, so Nottingham Forest put out a strong side in the FA Cup because it was just kind of assumed that you would because you wanted to win the competition, right? Yes, that is correct, Gav. Right. Times have changed. Now it's it's part of our lexicon. I want Swansea to win the FA Cup this year, so I'm, I'm Why? stuck. Why? They're not even English. Because they they scored the best FA Cup goal I've ever seen. Did you see it? It was beautiful. Montero's goal. Mm. It was just gorgeous. Oh, what goal, yeah. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Okay, I don't know if it was the best FA Cup goal I've I, ever seen. I, I, I think so, because we, we, assu- we assume they have one. to be from 40 yards in the mud, and I think that's... That's old-fashioned. Let's go for modern, beautiful FA Cup goals. I thought it was really gorgeous and the sort of goal that ought to launch Swansea out of their dire straits and into something miraculous and moving, and it didn't work. So I don't like the narrative of this year's FA Cup. It's not working. Cass, stuff like this, I, I realise, obviously, when you played, the, the FA Cup was, was more mm. you know, it was more important because you had the white horse and everything. Um, <laughs> but... Sorry, that, 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 is a, that, is a, that is a mean reference to the final from what year? 1923. 1923, there you go. That's when Wembley was so full and there was a policeman on the white horse and he Gab, single-handedly Gab, kept... Who were the two Gab, teams? Gab, uh, Bolton, Bolton and Blackpool. Very good. No, I was going was to get to, if you're, if you're on a struggling team and you've been on struggling teams, mm-hmm. does getting knocked out of a cup competition, does that create a disappointment that then sticks with you? Or do you actually look at it, all right, we have more time to train? Especially because in your days, people would have like 17 replays. I think if you look at the clubs and the two clubs that had problems with their fans, Villa and uh, Swansea, and certain incidents happen, that tells you the importance for the club because they're struggling clubs. You need to get victories for just the preparing for training and going in and the atmosphere around the camp. And I think I think the cup's important for teams, especially when they're struggling and and just selecting a side. I mean, Swansea did, to be fair, them they they did select a very strong side, but it, it carries a lot of weight. There's two things, aren't there? There's one is that you, you can't separate momentum by competition. So it's not like if you if you lose a game in any competition, it affects your team psychology without question. No. And also, the, the, but then there's the element of we kind of taught ourselves into the cup not mattering, which is a bit strange. I was at Spurs yesterday, I think 15 changes between them. Two teams who've obviously got other things to think about than the cup, but then as soon as Spurs look like they might go out, Pochettino threw on Kane and Deli Alley, which is as if to say, oh, hang on, actually, we, do, we, we don't want to lose this game. So I think the cup doesn't matter until it starts to matter, basically. It was an altercation between John Joe Shelby and a supporter. We're going to discuss Villa later in Alison's big story. But anybody 
Want to fill us in on what happened? Did Shelby not offer out a fan in the car park? Mm. One of the many car parks around the Kassam Stadium, which has ample parking. Well, <laughs> that's what I want to get to. You must what, have felt... the parking? No, I was going to refer to the ex-pro who's here, who might at some point have been insulted by a fan and offered him out. Uh, <laughs> I've, had a, I've had a few times, a few clubs and a few incidents, yeah. I mean, there was a great guy at Chelsea. I used to, When I was on the sub, his seat was right behind the dugout. And if I got up just to get up and what he'd go, oh no, sit down, what are you getting up for? No. And he literally would go into all, you know, all these reasons why I shouldn't go on. And it went on for quite a while. And then one day I've just looked around him and I said, do us a favour, just give me one little bit of slack. And he then gave me the thumb, like to sort of thumbs up. And, all, and he never, ever said anything. But I went through, what, probably three to four, four months of him just abusing me. And I hadn't even kicked a ball. And the team would be losing, <laughs> and I'd be like, he's just, as soon as I, I got to the stage, as soon as I got off the seat, his voice would start. It, it was wasn't because like, your, your rear end was blocking his view of Peter no, Nicholas. because I wasn't having a great time, and when you don't play well, you get stick. And, uh, yeah, but, but this is kind of funny. Like, <laughs> but you never had a situation where somebody was really insulting you, having a go at you, and you felt like, all right, you know what? You know, you lost your no, school I never, and you felt like... No. You've seen it happen, though. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Tell yeah. us stories, Uncle Cass. Well, uh, there was a... Boy Preferably boy. ones involving Roy Keane, the most famous <laughs> no, player you ever played a with. A boy at Marseille got attacked in a car and he got out of his car. Mark Libra, you know, I think I mentioned before. The fans were giving him a lot of stick and um, he got out of the car and confronted a fan and <sighs> it weren't just one fan, it ended up being a number of them and was became a very serious incident at the time. I think you only answer... And I said this to Alison last night when we were chatting and I said... You only answer players' performances by what you do on the pitch. You know, as a player, you, your fans, you have to ignore it. You have to get on with it and don't get involved with them because you are only going to come off second best whatever happens, even if you won the fight. Yeah, it is, it is kind of a lose-lose yeah, situation. Yeah, as I was saying to Tony last night, I think... We should point out that Alison and Tony have recently moved in together. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's this massive, stupid, artificial gulf between footballers as superstars yeah. and the fans. And I think it is possible to talk to a fan and it, for, for it not to be the wrong thing to do. And we disagree, Tony. I think, I think if you're the captain, things are going badly wrong. Mm. And a fan, because because you're at an F, it's an FA Cup game, it's a small, smaller ground, the access is easier. Yeah. And you can hear what well, they're saying and they can touch you yeah, to uh, pretend it's not happening. To no. go all aloof, I'm, I'm paid a lot of money and I can't talk to you. I don't think that's necessarily... I, I agree, show it on the pitch the, is your yeah. first priority. No, well, I, I would, think it's I wrong to integrate. One, I would say one thing to that. I would be much more happier if you... And I've again, I'm bringing back my Club Marseille happening because fans came to the training ground sometimes and they had their speak... I think it would have been great if Richard said, uh, Michael Richard said to the fan, identify that fan, tell him to come to the training ground and see, see us. Come and, you know, <laughs> have some fans here. Not for a fight, to talk. I, to, to come I, in I, and have I their feelings. That. I just, but I, that I, happened I, I, a I'm lot. putting my, hat, my, my, my fan hat back on and I totally get what you're saying. But I like the idea. Like, identify that fan and bring him to well, me <laughs> and have him come to my training ground it's not, and I'll make him wait outside no, and then I'll let him into my boudoir no, and what the hell you're, listen, no. listen, no, no look, look, you're, I, I you're changing every, the completely no, 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 the dynamics no, no, of what no, I just no, said no, but, but what, what I am saying is every country has its footballing culture and with good reason I think in England there's a situation where there's a greater I mean everywhere there's a greater distance than there one, what once was in a situation like this, in, in certain countries, in certain clubs, I'm not saying it's right. In some ways, often it's wrong. But, you know, for example, at Roma, after every game, especially after every defeat, they all have to march down 
and so that they can get yelled at by the ultras. In other clubs, you know, it's normal for two or three senior players will face a delegation of supporters. Now, if it just, you know, descends into people shouting at each other, it's probably not constructive. Other times it can be. But we're going to get into this more when we discuss Villa. I want to go back to uh, an excellent story Rory wrote last week about a guy who, because I don't follow the lower leagues, I had no idea. I don't even know if it was the same guy or just a dude with the same last name. Michael Appleton. Now, for those who don't know, Michael Appleton was a standout youngster at Manchester United who then got injured. Then he did his coaching badges. And then he went to West Brom and he was thought to be the future. He went to other clubs where it didn't work out, including, I think, Portsmouth well, he went and to Blackburn. Portsmouth, Blackpool and Blackburn, which is a, a CV that is just a list of three of English football's great basket cases. And then because he was associated with them, he had those three jobs in 15 months. He kind of got written off. It was assumed that he had in some way... Did he keep getting sacked or did he just walk out No, he walked jobs? out on two and he got sacked by Blackburn after 67 days. I think it was when Blackburn sacked Henningberg after three months, then Appleton after three months. And I, th- I think, having spoken to him about it, I think that he made poor choices and I think he was slightly naive in terms of... I think I understand what happened at Portsmouth. He says he was presented with a, with a plan and then obviously they got done for, mon- for money laundering. That changed everything. He went to Blackpool... If you don't do your due diligence on the Oysters, then you deserve what's coming to you, which is being sacked. And then he went to Blackburn because they just sat, sat Henningbird and he thought they couldn't do it again, which is not a, a, a good reason for taking a job. But he got unfairly tarnished. He was this incredibly kind of, supposed to be this incredibly bright young coach. He takes these three jobs, they are all disasters, and he is tarnished by his association. And it, he had to, he's had to drop down to lead two, to Oxford, to start rebuilding his reputation. And I went to see him in Oxford in December... And it's, what, what they're doing is really interesting, and you, you tweeted uh, about their use of stats and the way they're using stats, which I maybe didn't convey quite well enough, or it could just be that they're using them in an incorrect way. That's possible. But or they're it doing could a, be the other, third option is that... They didn't tell me the truth. They didn't tell you the truth because people who, you know from... I mean, you, you've obviously written a book on analytics together with, with Chris Anderson, that if you have the really good stuff... You hold it back. You go there. You don't go, you don't, is, you don't go telling the first Rory K. Smith that walks well, into I, your Well, I am very persuasive, but the... Um, <laughs> I, I don't think so. I, I met the the analyst Dan Bond, and he sort of sh- he walked me through a lot of the stuff they use. I'm sure there were things that they didn't show me that right. they want to keep secret. But no, I think they're they're doing a lot of in- interesting stuff. I th- my, my view on analytics is that that using them at all is relatively forward thinking, especially in the lower leagues. That there is as yet no right way of using them. They spent 200 grand on the pitch and then narrowed it, which is totally counterintuitive for a football inside. Because Appleton felt that the fullbacks were too exposed to diagonals and they couldn't close the ball down quickly enough, so they narrowed their home pitch. But you didn't you say in your piece they narrowed it because the players were intimidated by it? No, the, the players were intimidated by it out of possession. So they, they, okay. they enjoyed the space when they had the ball, but when they were out of possession they felt they were more vulnerable to, to long diagonals, which, of which there are many in League 2. It wasn't a great FA Cup draw. There weren't that many games that had that sort of cup magic feeling to them. Apart from Eastleigh, of course. But even that it was Bolton, who were struggling massively and haven't been paid since like next last year. So, two of the teams that were on TV, Oxford and Exeter, are great adverts for the fact that the lower leads, lead one and lead two, and Cass watches loads of lead two, are a much more diverse environment than they're given credit for. But you look at so Northampton have been doing well, who are managed by Chris Wilder, who used yeah. to manage Oxford. Yeah. Now Chris Wilder is is a great story, but he's a relatively typical lead two manager. It's discipline, yeah. it's hard work, it's hard running. And then you have Appleton and Tisdale, extra 16th, I think, aren't they? But, you know, there are different ways in League 2 of of achieving success. And I think one of the things that FA Cup third round weekend does really well 
is just occasionally highlight that lower down, away from the limelight, there are interesting things happening. Mm. Not just interesting sort of personal stories of triumph and redemption, but there are actually people doing things that are a bit different. That's why I think I enjoyed reading your story, is that to me... Whether you agree with them or not. No, but, 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 but to me, there aren't enough stories like that. To me, the, the narratives, like I said, always refer back to what the guy was like as a player and, mm. you know, and, and moving on from League Two to the polar opposite to the Theatre of Dreams, Manchester United and Sheffield United. Now, United go through, it's a late, late penalty, it's an absolutely idiotic tackle. It was bizarre, in the box. wasn't it? But who was the guy who made the tackle? Dean Hammond. Is he a former w- w- Leicester? He's a sort of championship yeah, stalwart. Right? Really, yeah, 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 yeah. A bit of a journeyman sort yeah. of player, yeah. What? But really experienced. Yeah. Anybody have any idea what brain fart or something? Like? Mm. You have lack of oxygen to your brain by the 94th minute. I don't... We, we've talked United to death. Somebody maybe... There's obviously that wonderful statistic from their past 10 home games. They haven't scored a first-half goal. Although they've only conceded one first-half goal at home, so I guess that is something to cheer about. James Ducker absolutely put the boot into them in his uh, match report, which I'm sure you've you've all read. Anybody have anything new to say about Manchester United? I, I, I am really at a loss because it's the same thing. Paul Scholes goes on television and savages them. I have, I have um, something to say about the Paul Scholes thing. Okay. Here is what I want to say about the Paul Scholes Please thing. Please give us some background on the Paul Scholes thing first so for, Paul for people who don't live in a Paul Scholes world. Born in Oldham in... No, Paul, so Paul Scholes, <laughs> obviously, United legend, has been criticising Van Gaal for on his... Either in his column in the Independent, which I think has now been discontinued for what a year at least. You can rely some some pundits, people like Gary Neville, are really really good. They can talk really well about any number of subjects. Cass, for example, Danny Higginbotham, I think is excellent. Uh, Other pundits tend to be very strong on the clubs with which they are associated, and Stoles is very good on United. But you you see him on BT when he's doing a game that's not got Manchester United involved in it, and you see he's kind of at a loss, Stoles. But he's Maybe very he's good. A bit bored and very it's not United. Yeah, I think he's he's a little bit tunnel visioned with it. He's very strong on Van Gaal. He really doesn't like Van Gaal. I think he called him boring this weekend and said that the, the style of football it doesn't suit the club's tradition. And all the newspapers, obviously, as they always do, picked up on it. Stoll's blast at Van Gaal, blah, blah, blah. Despite the fact that he has been doing that and saying that for mm. yeah, for a so year, I mean, it's 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 ad nauseum. It's kind but of like what, when newspapers write whole stories based on Gary Lineker's tweets. So well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, but what I think is really interesting. One of his close friends is Ryan Diggs. He's very close mm. with the rest of the class of 92. And obviously he was a player for, and a coach, in fact, for Sir Alex Ferguson for a long time. At a club like Manchester United, there is no way that someone powerful, be it an assistant manager or a director or an ambassador, if they wanted to, couldn't ring Paul Scholes and say, Paul, this isn't helping, please Ooh, stop. I like, I like this argument. Mm. Do we actually know how close they are, Giggs and Scholes? I mean... Are they actually mate mates who like sit and chat and hang out together, or is it the kind of thing they were just teammates? They've known each other for a very long time. There's a deep respect I to think it. Somewhere in between the two. Mm. Okay. So it's, it's, it's like like they're not the, best mates. They're no, not. But they're, they're not having sleepovers. One thing, I, and, and I'm glad you've touched on this because one thing that's I, I've has bothered me for about two or three months. Ryan Giggs at the club. I can't understand why he has not walked out at United. Because of the way they play, which is obviously what those people have do- documented, and the fact that I can't believe he wants to be part of that. Mm. Maybe he I buys that... into. Maybe he buys into the the, the process. I mean, I'm not. I'm not I'm I can't not, I'm see not it, Gab. I can't see how he can. It's everything that's an antidote to what they were before. Well, so I, I, I'll, I'll say this about Louis Van Gaal: is I, I've had a chance to spend some time with him twice, um, both a long time ago, and his star was a bit different. 
when the guy, if you like talking about football, when the guy gets going, he is pretty spellbinding in the right context and stuff. Can we just rule out that Giggs hasn't bought into the process and Giggs doesn't actually believe that it works or that Giggs feels a commitment to his contract? I think you can probably assume that Giggs, who is an intelligent bloke, I think I, I wonder whether Giggs feels that even if he doesn't like what he's seen in terms of the kind of output on the pitch, whether Giggs feels that Van Gaal has something to teach him about management, but you also, on the sort of flip side, wonder whether Giggs has decided that it's better to be inside when it all goes pear-shaped and he can just take yeah. take the job on. You wonder whether he's playing the long game. Okay, but all right, well then, since we're in that realm of possibility and that uh, Giggs is waving around for Van Hal to be sacked or to see out his contract, show of hands, who in this room, assuming United finish fourth this year and fourth next year, would say, all right, Van Hal's gone, let's give Giggs a proper grown-up contract? I think if Manchester United... Nobody. Nobody's raised their hand. So well, I don't I'm, understand I'm, the question. Were we pretending to be... Woody. Oh, OK. Assuming that's, he that's, still has a job, too. Yeah. You know, assuming United don't go and win the champ- win Champions Leagues and League titles in Van Hal's final 16 months, what would convince you that you should oh, just I appoint Ryan Giggs? If I had any power at United at all, I wouldn't, I wouldn't... I wouldn't... If it carries on this way with Van Hal and Van Hal walks out or whatever the solution is... I wouldn't immediately promote gigs because I would anybody. No, he's got to. I mean, in a way, it's kind of weird that he's he's got to go away. He's got to learn how to be his own manager. He has to learn because he's so in the shadow at the moment, and and um, I don't know if he's aware, but it actually looks slightly Mm. embarrassing seeing him not being himself. It's odd. It's odd seeing him just sat quietly there. That's one of the things when people make an analogy with like you know Pep Guardiola and people like that who moved up. Pep Guardiola, at the end of his Barcelona career as a player, left and he played. He played in Italy. He, he played in Qatar, which is neither here nor there. But he played in in Mexico specifically because he wanted to play for Juan Malillo, who was a uh, who was a manager who who he he really admired. He went and he did things. He experienced different kinds of football. Mm. These guys who've been at United since they were five years old. You know this, and almost all of it with the same manager. Exactly. If it makes it, if it makes Paul Scholes a limited pundit, it has to make Ryan Giggs a limited manager, does it not, Rory? Yes, might explain why the other guy went to Spain. Yes, although it's not doing very well. Yeah, so far, so far. Mm-hmm. Anybody want to say anything about Sheffield United? The Blades, managed by Nigel Atkins. the guy who used to be the Reading manager. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. the other one. Yeah, Southampton, yeah, yeah. Reading, Stumthorpe. Yeah, uh, I didn't. This is a former physio, if I'm not mistaken. He is a former physio. Right. I didn't know that Sheffield United had changed their badge. Is it no longer? Looked, it looked like the Isle of Man badge. I'd like it if someone got in touch with Gab to explain why that's happened. I don't know. I saw a car parked on the street, which had this that funny, which I'd never seen before. It had the Isle of Man license plate. Yeah, weird symbol. Which I thought, I thought it was something Masonic. And have disturbing. you been to the Isle of Man, Gab? I have not. Would been. you like to go? No, I I'd have. like to know if we have any listeners in the Isle of Man. That would be fascinating. I have very little. I have very little interest. I think I've I've already seen enough of this country. You know, one place I'm curious. You've about. never been north of. Watford. I have. I've been to Leeds. We've been through this. Did you this. just say I've had enough of this country? You no. Did. I visited. I've been here a long time. I visited the bits. The only bit I haven't visited. What bits have you visited? What? What bits have you visited outside the Empire? Gillingham. Have you been to Gillingham? Don't ruin it. You said you've everywhere but. I've been to Liverpool. I've been to Bath. I've been to 
I've been to Leeds. Have you been to Bristol? Have you been to Harrogate? Been to Harrogate? Yes. Have you been to Exeter? Extra Exeter Cathedral. Exeter's really far away. But no, Cornwall's lovely though, isn't it? Cornwall and Devon. Yes, I've I've been to Cornwall. I've been been to Devon. I've been to Lizard. But you know what? You know (laughs) what? Lizard. Whatever. No, the only place I haven't been that I'm curious about, simply because it seems to be like you know when when you watch BBC Breakfast News, they have a map with Ollie Kay's brother. With with Ollie Kay's brother. That's right. They always have a they, they they. I don't know on what basis they do this, but it'll say like London, Birmingham. They have like certain select cities on the map. And one of them is Kendall. Yeah. And I was thinking like, and it's weird because like Liverpool's not there, but I'm like Kendall, what the hell's Kendall? Right? Kendall's it's politically yeah, correct. Obviously I found it. out what yeah. Kendall's and I, I can, I can yeah. go on Wikipedia too, right? <laughs> have you had Kendall mint cake? Well, that's the thing. Then I found a Kendall milk cake, mink, mink, uh, mink cake. I found it's a Kendall near Carlisle. Yes, well, not right, even not Liverpool. Uh, it's probably in association with Howard Kendall. So they possibly too confusing. Not offend anyone. But, no, but there's it. that whole little, there's it. a whole little corner of the country which seems to generally be empty apart from. You mean the Lake you, District and Cumbria? Cumbria, I mean, yeah. yeah, and which is sort of on the way to Glasgow. I am a little bit interested by that. Um, all right. <laughs> Sheffield United, League One, this might be the only... I, I, again, I don't want to disrespect them, but I don't know much about them. I don't follow League One. They, 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 they well, did okay. Well, well, they, 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 they played defend. well in this game, but do, is there any broader point to make about Nigel Atkins, who used to be a physio? <laughs> no. Who used to be at so. West Ham? Who used to be? Was it West Ham? Sorry, not West Ham, Southampton. No, Southampton. I don't think there is a broader point. I think the, the most interesting thing about Sheffield United was that they did defend well, but they didn't need to defend that well because United were terrible. Right. Uh, Memphis Depay coming on at the end. Excite you? No? Van Hal complaining that Sheffield United defended with 11 men behind the ball, and so you have to play with two wingers if they do that. Logical question, why don't you, didn't you start the pie and Martial so you'd have two fast wingers? No? We just chuck all that up to... No, nobody wants I don't, to... I don't, I don't think it matters whether they play two wingers, five up front. Does it matter if one... I think any organised system he puts together isn't showing any way of adventure to no, me. No, no. Even, even if you right. put them there. Oh, okay. I want to know. I just want to know. You know, at the end of a game at Old Trafford, he walks down the steps, yeah. Van Hall. Are those people paid to shake his hand? It makes it look like he's... Well, you, you know, know what's funny? Duce. That everyone loves me and I'll do a little wave when I leave and no one is cross with me. I, it's I, all I very staged. I actually met one of these guys. Which guy, like, who, one of the fans? Oh. Yeah, the ones who sit right behind the bench. Okay. Like, if you go back and you look at pictures of Sir Alex, there's like four or five seat guys who are big United fans who, mm. who sit behind him. And I met them once in, in, in Manchester. I don't see... Those aren't the guys who shake Van Hal's hand. I don't know if, like, when he leaves the pitch. I don't know what happened to them, if they've been removed or they they just choose to turn their backs on Louis or if they're not fans. But I don't see them anymore. Well, it would be anything. They could have had their tickets moved somewhere else. They could have... Decided that the football's inordinately boring, so they don't want to watch it. Could be. In our debate this week, we're going to go off the back of Alison's excellent story about the Aston Villa team bus being stuck. There's wonderful video of this as well. When I saw this, uh, and I saw somebody tweeted it, I thought, wow, this is going to be really bad. Instead, from what I could tell from the video and from the guy's brummy accent, it's a guy standing in front of the bus, and one by one, as the players come on, he basically says, like, Veritude, you're not very good at playing football. Uh, Guzan, you're not very good at playing football. Lahore, you're not. It, it's kind of repetitive. It didn't really strike me as, like... But there was stuff that went on which was more apocalyptic. Now, there, is, there, is, there, is, there is actually a narrative to this. It wasn't just some random anger. It was a lunchtime kickoff. Villa fans were in a really quite a good mood. There were a lot of them there. The press box 
you know, we were ensconced inside the, the pack of, of, of travelling fans, which was kind of odd because it made the game unfold in a strange way in my head. But anyway. Um... VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. They were joking and they were, they were, it was, it was, people call it gallows humor, but it was, it was good natured. It was good natured and they were willing the team to win and willing them to play well. And they responded to early on Micah Richards sort of, you know, lifting his arms and saying, come on, give us some more noise. It was fine. And then slowly the game unfolded and Villa were not very good and clearly have massive confidence issues. And they started to sing nasty things and growl a lot and be ironic when they cheered anything. And then a few fans noticed, they said they noticed, I have no actual personal evidence of this, I did not see this, but some fans swear that they saw Brad Guzan and Julian Lescott playing um, chewing gum tennis or chewing gum I don't know chew, touchline chewing gum where you just see how far you can spit it out and how far it will reach the touchline they were laughing you, and giggling about it while can, they were can I ask a question about this about yes. touchline chewing gum because obviously spitting contests are, are a popular activity I'm sure we all we all did it uh, when, when we were children basically they would chew and then they would spit so you could get it further Will they then rush get, up and pick it up and then put it back in their mouth no so they would they would get fresh chewing. Yes. They would get that's a fresh bit of chewing gum that's every the time. Yes, it seems yes. entirely wasteful. There's a, there's a photograph on a on a on a website showing lots of chewing gum around the dugout. Which, if Sam Allardyce had been there, would look the same. I mean, some people chew a lot of gum and spit it out. Yeah, no, but you're intentionally creating problem for the groundskeepers at, at, at Wickham. Uh, at, is it Adams Park? Yeah, that isn't what the fans were worried about, though. Well, they were worried. They were worried about the demeanour of two senior players in the middle of a crisis for the club and. One fan was so cross, he went over to the dugout and said, why are you doing that? And he claims he was told to F off. And then when Micah Richards was substituted, about 83rd minute, the fans had were still there. And they, that's, that is the reason why there was a Micah Richards fan in, interaction, because they said to Micah Richards, what, what the hell's going on? You devil I, don't know, I don't know if Richards knew about the, the allegation about chewing them. He said, no, no, please please back us. We're in this together. We're trying. And um, I have no problem with him trying to calm a fan down and say that. But anyway, word spread. These fans are telling other fans, did you see what happened there? Or a disgrace there to the club. So they waited outside the players' exit. But um, becomes famous for having one road out of the stadium. And it gets gets log jammed on a normal day, let alone Mm. a cup tie day. So... The Wickham stewards very kindly said to the villa people, don't come out, you'll just be sat on the bus and there'll be a lot of aggro. It might be horrible because they, they sound quite angry. So they waited until the road cleared and then they got on the bus very quickly and you're right, there was lots of identifying of each individual fan. But when Remy Gard got on, they saved the worst of the invective for him, you know, and you, Gard, you know, you were the one behind this, you don't know what you're doing. And a few fans complained that it was getting a bit nasty and it was... 
you know, there were kids around. It was all a bit unpleasant. And they all, they all drove off. Then we heard that Villa are having crisis talks about what they do. Do they fund to escape relegation or do they fund a life in the championship? It's the first time, I don't go to every Remy Girl press conference, but it's the first time I am told that he really made it plain he's losing his patience with the players' attitude and performances. So they are a club in crisis. All right, obviously there's several layers that we have talked about Villa's futility recently, but well, we know that there's a lot of gum on the ground. We don't know exactly what the context of Guzan and Lescott, what they were doing, but needless to say, Cass, it's important when your team's doing well, or sorry, doing badly, that you look suitably concerned even when really you can't be bothered because it's not you on the pitch and you could look at it as like, oh, look, I have more time to train and help keep Villa up. But you, whatever you shouldn't be doing is joking around and playing silly buggers with the chewing up. I mean, you're going to offend people. You're having a really rough season. You, have you seen that happen when you were playing? Yeah, loads of times. Loads of people. Some players don't care if they they don't care if the team loses and because they've been left out or you know well, for whatever reason, um, they they're quite comfortable and just thinking well, it's about me, not about the team. So and Villa was quite clearly that you can you feel that Agbon has been there a long time. He feels his way going out the door and he hasn't been mentioned. But I just feel that there is that issue that they've got some players who've been there a while. They've had a lot of change personnel. I mean, you know, they lost huge numbers of players. Yeah, but going go by the specific argument about players don't looking care. the part. Yeah, well, no, players you, don't care. You do, yeah, of course, there are some players. I wouldn't say them all, but there's some players who really don't care whether you, you know. But they're, they're also too I mean, stupid to understand that they need to look the part at least. They need oh, to at least pretend like, oh, let's all make a serious face. No, no, but, but the fact, Gab. I experienced I mean, loads of Guzan times. Aren't kids? They're, they're they're veterans. No, they're experienced pros, let's but that not, doesn't. So, is there any way we might have seen, taken this out of context and misinterpreted this, or did they just screw up? Well, the club are talking to them today to find out their version of events. It, it, it may not be quite as bad as the They haven't lost things. the game as well. Imagine how serious the Villa... They've, they've drawn the game, they've got a replay, which in, under normal circumstances, OK, it might not have been the greatest result in the world, but fans would have been OK. They go, oh, we didn't play well today, but we've got a replay. There's a lot of things underlying at Villa where the fans have been... I, I was lucky enough to play for them, and I would say without a doubt they were the, the least aggressive fans at my time. And that's moved on a long time since I played for them. It's 1990. But Villa fans were quite an understanding group. I remember getting probably more backing from Villa fans than I did at any other club. They were really, and I, I always. And you weren't that good for Villa relative to. I you actually did done all right. I done all right. I you did, did better I, elsewhere though. Yeah, yeah. done better. But I done all right by the time I left. But it, it, I found the fans. I was quite shocked. I'd left Millwall. That you know, I know that old it will like to. I left Millwall, and I tell you, you really got it full on every time you played, or you know wherever training ground, there'd be fans. At time. So it was. I found Villa. Was, wow, this is a bit of a culture change to me. Mm. I had fans that were, you know. So I don't worry, Tony, you know, I remember going and thinking how friendly it would not be the case at Millwall. But that holds now as well, because they've been terrible, Villa fans have been terrible, Villa as a team have been terrible, sorry, for, what, five years? And the fans are still going, they're still getting 35,000. The, the fans have been extraordinarily patient with Villa. For me, again, not growing up in this country, you look at the, the historic size of Villa's fan base, I would put Villa half a notch below the really big big clubs mm. like Liverpool and Manchester United in terms of in, in, in terms of catchment area uh, success and so I'm not necessarily surprised that 35,000 
I mean, if Liverpool sucked as bad as Villa for five years, I would assume that there would still be 35,000. Yeah, but if other teams did, then there wouldn't be 35,000. Yeah, no, it, it does, it does to, to some extent, reflect the size of the club. But I think Villa fans have generally been quite patient with a team that has been drifting for a long time. Any other FA Cup takeaways that you might have, excluding things that we're going to deal with in quick hits? Anything you want to say about the FA Cup? Anything that's stuck out? Well, Tony, we Cas- Tony Cascarino is a messiah. <laughs> and I saw him being a messiah. I really enjoyed that piece that you did in Exeter. I thought it was brilliant. Both of your pieces from we, Exeter. Well, we both enjoyed. We went down. We had a really good time. And uh, Paul Tisdale was, I thought, I was so just, just very different. You just felt that uh, quite a calm guy that talked about how the, you know he changed teams on a regular basis, how he had to go through different changes at the football club. And I openly admitted that he would not have walked into that club and done what he's doing now if it was a short term appointment or he felt it would have been he would have played a different way because he needed to get results he sat down and spoke to Paul Tisdale and you there's no other manager who could speak like that because mm. Wenger being a Premier League manager has a completely different remit so Paul Tisdale to stop himself basically to stop himself getting bored he recreates the team every what every two years well yeah 18 months to two years yeah. he did it didn't he I mean, because he wants to try out a different version this of himself is... as a manager and the club as a club yeah. For those of us who are less familiar with Paul Disdale among our, our, our listeners, this is a guy who five or six years ago, I was assured, had a really bright future in football. He was one of the few sort of British managers who was who had a real potential to be in the in the Premier League. Can somebody fill me in on what went wrong since then? Uh, or not, or maybe, maybe he had no interest, I don't know. Tiz is, I, I, I know Tiz a bit, and he's... Tiz? Tiz. Uh, he is one of my favourite people in football, is, is Tiz. After Rafa. In a different way to Rafa, Tiz is just a, he's just a brilliant bloke. He's a really genuinely good bloke. He, he has had offers. Uh, he won't go somewhere that he feels is, is a short-term thing. I think he feels very loyal to Exeter and he feels that he has, has signed a contract there and he wants to fulfil fulfil that. He's an honourable man. He's also, I think, very settled in the southwest. He doesn't live that near Exeter, but he's settled in that area and he enjoys his work. I, I think He's still only, what, 42? Yeah. yeah. 42, I don't think he'll finish his career at Exeter. I think he will, he will move on because there is a chronic shortage of money and because after a while I think he, he will feel that the way to stop himself getting bored is, mm. to, is to have another challenge. Without question, he is kind of the standard bearer for innovative, intelligent, different coaches that, that do crop up in the lower leagues. I've got a lot of time for, for Tisdale. I think, mm. he's, I think he's a genuinely good coach. Well, the fact that when he spoke and he talked about promotion and relegation as being something that's t- slightly overrated and it's not the basis of success for the football club and that this club needed to, like they did with Grimes, they sold him for £1.7 million to Swansea and he put a system together that could get the best out of this that individual. Was a pretty, yeah, yeah. You know, that, I, I found that really interesting. That He said, well, we need to sell players. We're going to, you know, go on and exist for a long time. Selling and buying and, and producing players is on our DNA and, and that's quite hard to do you know to yeah. do what he did and, and well, the way they play as well he's got a decent side there yeah, some players. It, 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 it's an interesting theme because I, I look at uh, George Calkin uh, as he often does at a tremendous piece with Sam Allardyce and has the added bonus that you see him naked wow you don't see it you don't, it's not full frontal unfortunately no it's just his nipples but um, <laughs> he talks to Sam Allardyce where, where you know in some ways he's, he's the epitome of a certain type of manager who who gets sort of lampooned and, 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 and pigeonholed in, in some ways and I'm wondering if a guy like Tisdale looks at it and says like is it worth it? Possibly I think the one thing I would George's piece with Sam is brilliant but the, the problem with Sam 
has always been his self-promotion. That's the issue. That's why people don't like Sam, because Sam will sit there and say, "Actually, I'm very innovative and very, very forward-thinking." Quick story about Sam. Yes. All right. Gentlemen playing Millwall, 1984, five. Set the scene. Set the scene. Just after the Audrey minor strike. At uh, Priestfield. So can I just jump in one, one, one second? Younger listeners, uh, Sam Allardyce Thank used to have a mustache. Yes, and looks I like was, he kind of still does. I've been told by many people that he was what you call a big, ugly, nasty yes, centre half. half. So anyway, I'm standing in the tunnel, and Sam Allardyce comes walking past me, and he's in a white suit. Okay, nice. He goes down the tunnel in a white suit. Now, there's, bearing in mind this is a League One game. <laughs> Um, but he was in a white suit. He goes onto the pitch, and I'm standing there. I was a young lad making a bit of a name for myself. I was about 19, tw- 20, around, around that age. And I'm just standing there, and obviously I'm going to be playing against him because he's a centre-half and I was a centre-forward. So he turns back, and he comes back down the tunnel, and he just looks at me and went, see you at three o'clock, and walked down the tunnel. Oh, that's brilliant. And I thought, ooh, that's quite intimidating. But we won one nil, and I scored. Uh, did he kick you? No, but Sam put himself about, yeah. Well, he kicked me, no, he, he put himself, he's a yeah. strong... Hang on, strong is there not an alternative sort of interpretation of that story, which is that Tony Castorino is standing in a tunnel and sees a man dressed entirely in white go out of the yeah, tunnel? Yeah, Were, were you exactly. in Gillingham or had you died and gone to heaven? <laughs> <Could have been. laughs> That's true. <laughs> that could very well be... Quite intimidating when he done it, because he was obviously about 25 and big, strong centre-half, Sam. Right, enough of that on this FA Cup weekend. How about... Some quick hits. Chelsea beat Scunthorpe 2-0, and Goose Hiddink decides to play pretty much the entire first 11. Cass, was this the right decision, and does it suggest that they're showing the appropriate respect to the greatest cup competition in the world? Absolutely, and I think bearing in mind that they got knocked out by Bradford last year in the manner they did, I think it was a competition that he'd look at and think, yeah, it's dreadful at the moment, we're at the wrong end of the table, and uh, can we win the Champions League? Probably not, but I'm going to try and win a cup, and the FA Cup is the best opportunity. Best opportunity to get into Europe yeah. as well, I think, uh, at the exactly. stage. Tottenham Hotspur and Leicester City battle to a 2-2 draw, but Rory, was it really Spurs and Leicester, given the zillions of changes? And um, does Spurs deserve that late, late, late equaliser and that and the Nathan Dyer handball. It was a really harsh King. penalty. I think it was a correct penalty, but a very officious one. Alison, I'm sure her view would be much more relevant than mine. I thought She's it was a very, qualified ref. It was very harsh on Nathan Dyer. I don't think there's anything to do about it, but it, then it probably was a penalty. On the balance of play, yes, they deserved it. I think the most interesting thing was that Leicester's reserves could cope with Spurs' reserves, which suggests to me that Leicester's resources are deeper than they are given credit for. Manchester City pummel Norwich 3-0 as Kalechi Hinacho is picked ahead of Boney. We suggest in the paper Monday uh, that he has supplanted Wilfried Boney as the second-choice centre-forward behind Kunaguero. Alison, would this be a wise choice from Pellegrini? Is the kid ready? Uh, no, the, 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 the Boney situation fascinates me because all, all Pellegrini's succeeded in doing is wrecking Swansea. I know Boney wanted to leave. He said he wanted Champions League football. I mean, I don't mind him being ambitious, but he's... It's not working for him at City. Sometimes a player goes from being the linchpin to being just one of many great players and it doesn't work for them. I, don't, I would not say Boney hasn't tried very hard. He has. He's just not found that role in the team. And you probably do need to build the, t- build the team around him and there's no way Pellegrini's going to do that. I'm still a fan of Wilfred. Sunderland's performance director, Mark Taylor, and this is a quote from uh, George Culkin's excellent piece that you should go back to read because... For me, George Culkin is the best writer we have in the Times Sports Desk. You're, you're, not, you're all nodding along. He says, 
We've developed our own performance app so that when the manager delivers a team talk, it can be uploaded and played as often as a player wants. We push them notifications. We know who's been watching it. Cass, I'm trying to work this out. So basically, in layman's language, I guess they tape Big Sam's team talks mm. and then they make them available, kind of like on, <laughs> on YouTube. Self-promoting. <laughs> and then whenever you need to pick me up, you push a button on your phone and Big Sam's face appears and you can watch Big Sam telling you, giving you a little thought for the days. Yeah. I don't know. I This just seems bizarro to me. And were there any Very. great managerial team talks that you wish you could play back from time to time when you need a little pick-me-up? Um, I'd say largely no. <laughs> but I would certainly have had Jack Charlton on an app listening because they were funny, they were short, and they were precise. And you're exactly your role. Were they allowed to? Um, not really. Right. No, I wouldn't say, no. I just, he was a funny guy that made okay. football very simple and I, I would certainly listen to him and I could watch Jack over and over again. You could call the app Snap Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, like, if this works, yeah. I'm not going to knock anybody trying something new, yeah. but it just sounds like one of the silliest things I've, I've heard of. Last week, after Rafa Benitez was sacked by Real Madrid, uh, Rory, you wrote a story about how Gareth Bale could be considering his future because I guess he was really, really upset at Rafa being gone. Now that he scored a hat-trick in Real Madrid's 5-0 hammering of Deportivo Saturday and confirmed his status as, you know, he is he's the most headed goals of any player in Europe's big five leagues this season. Is everything fine and dandy? Does he have a new friend in Zizou? Uh, so the story I wrote was that Gareth Bell was considering his future, and as far as I know, probably still is, uh, because he was annoyed at Benitez going. They had a good relationship. He came out and said that uh, after the game against Deportivo. Uh, he has been told by Zidane that he will be shown all the love he needs. Uh, but I think the crucial thing is probably where he will play. Bell wants to play centrally. I don't think he wants to be shoved out onto the left or right wing to accommodate Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think basically as a lot of people have said in Spain for quite a long time, one of Bale and Ronaldo will leave Madrid this summer if they can, and if Perez has the nerve, I think it might be Ronaldo, and if it is, then I suspect Bale will stay. Uh, Liverpool played Friday night and drew as Jurgen Klopp fielded a bunch of kids and guys I hadn't heard of as they drew 2-2 at Exeter. Alison, were you a bit disappointed in Jurgen's selection, especially given, yes, they have a midweek game, but this game was on Friday no, well, uh, disappointed's the wrong word, I think. I mean, there were enough excuses and real reasons for it. I'd have rather, given all those excuses, that um, he'd fielded a team that was a team. Field the entire most successful play together a lot under-21 team. Don't try and throw Ben Teke in, who's never met them. I mean, that was just, that was a disappointing thing. Just go for a team that bears the Liverpool logo and they've played together and they've got an incentive because, heck, if they play well, they might play in the next round too. Dab, one for you. We are at the halfway mark in uh, faded Italian championship Serie A, uh, which, as we know, is very boring. I imagine there's been lots of nil-nil draws this season and no goals at all, and everyone's played very defensively. Uh, who is top of the table and why? In fact, somebody tweeted out, and I have no idea if this is true, but I will find out, that United have had more nil-nil draws this season than all of Serie A. Serie A has loads of goals. It always <laughs> has loads of goals. It's a fascinating league. It's just so incredibly unpredictable because uh, Napoli are top to answer your question. They won 5-1 away to Frosinone, who are this Frosinone, this delightful team that I would love somebody to write a feature of, uh, Rory. Only if uh, there's a Premier League link. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, they play in a in a nine thousand seat uh, uh, stadium, and basically, no matter who they play against, they just go all out attack. 
They score tons of goals. They concede tons of goals. They're not very good. Uh, Napoli beat them uh, 5-1 to go top, and they went top because on Saturday, Fiorentina somehow contrived to lose at home to Lazio. Um, Lazio, the team, of course, of Manchester United potential target, Felipe Anderson. And then on uh, Saturday, uh, Inter Milan... They went, and uh, uh, led by the magnificent Adam Jajic, who, of course, nearly signed for Manchester United and looks a little bit like Kaká. They totally pummeled Sassuolo, only to give up a foolish uh, 93rd-minute uh, penalty uh, given away uh, by by Miranda, who, of course, used to play for Atletico Madrid, who was managed by Diego Simeone, who uh, once got David Beckham sent off in a World Cup. David Beckham, of course, used to play for Manchester United. I told you about Napoli winning uh, uh, 5-1. Napoli, of course, formerly managed by Rafa Benitez, who does not like Manchester United. Uh, and then on uh, on Saturday night, uh, sorry, on Sunday night, Juventus won 2-1 uh, away to Sampdoria. And, um, and of course, that meant that they pulled even with uh, Inter Milan. And, of course, Juventus fielded Patrice Evra. I have an interesting fact about Napoli's leading scorer, who is Gonzalo Higuain. Who, who once played against Manchester United. Who once played against Manchester United. Uh, who has 18 goals, I think, this season, uh, which makes him the leading scorer in Europe. I think that's more goals than Manchester United has scored in the is, last yeah. month. Um, uh, he's level, I think, with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Hidwain is a very difficult character. He's a little bit up and down. He is prone to bouts of massive losses of confidence. Uh, he had one, uh, you might remember, uh, before the World Cup final last year, which was a bit inconvenient. But the reason that Hidwain is scoring so many goals, according to my friend... And I is that Rafa's gone? Uh, no, he's not. Rafa depresses him. Is that Gonzalo Higuain's love life is going quite well? So he's now really happy off the field, and when he's happy off the field, he can store lots of goals on it, which I think is, is a lovely fact. Because for all the talk of analytics and coaching and scouting and all this stuff that we get, we, we go like really deep into all this stuff. Ultimately, they're human beings, and Gonzalo Higuain's you know happy and in love, uh, which means he can store lots of goals. There's a bounce in his step, but he's not at that happy and love stage where it becomes a distraction. No, which is dangerous, and I think we've all been there. But it is interesting because I haven't made enough... My match reports were terrible for a year. (laughs) Uh, Because I haven't made enough references to George Calkin's uh, uh, piece yet, so they have this magic app at Sunderland, Mm. which sort of assesses everything about you and whether you're capable of training. Sound chat. They they know more about you than than, than you do. They know if you're getting a virus. I don't know how they track this. I think they have a chip in the... (laughs) Yeah, Insta-Sam. But I wonder if that's next frontier, having the analytics guys sort of implant sensors and chips in players so that they can judge the value or or they they can judge what the player's getting out of his love life, thereby better assessing whether he's... So, for example, contributing. Sam might go in to see Lee, Lee Catamol of a morning and say, look, Lee, we think you're having too much sex. You're not playing this weekend, <laughs> that sort of thing. That, I think that would be an entirely and appropriate think, in the thing. old days, all they did was tell players to get married at 21. Yeah. Probably because they didn't want them to have too much sex. <laughs> exactly. Sam, Sam going in saying, saying, to, saying to Catamol's, Lee, it's the right amount of sex, but we're worried <laughs> you're being a bit selfish. <laughs> <laughs> It's the type of copulation that's just not working for us. You, you, the, he, he'll get them to download the Kama Sutra app yeah. so the, to provide variety. The Sama Sutra. <laughs> right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my guests today, Rory K. Smith, Alison Rudd, and uh, Tony Cascarino, and of course Sam Allardyce, who was with us in spirit. I think we're all big fans, and it's a great piece by George Calkin in uh, uh, The Times today. Is it? It's really, okay. really good. You ought to read it. George. Please press that subscribe button. Uh, We'll be back 
next week. And remember, you can get exclusive football highlights for free as part of your subscription. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Uh, Just search The Times online. Till next time, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.